0: while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk.
1: Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on Austin Epperson. Austin works with e-commerce, SaaS, and venture-backed artificial intelligence startups to scale their offshore customer service and data validation teams. After graduating college, Austin traveled the U.S. and then the world to find where he could make a unique difference. When he arrived in the Philippines in 2015, he fell in love with the warm people, the need for jobs, and also his now wife. Over the past five years, Austin has built office and home-based teams, amounting to over 400 full-time hires. Today, Austin is sharing with us what it really means to hire offshore team members, busting some of the myths and concerns that we have about hiring offshore team members, and sharing with us some very helpful information so you can properly build relationships when you do hire offshore workers for your business. So let's jump into the conversation. Hi Austin, thank you so much for joining me on the Growing Your Team podcast. Can you kick us off with introducing yourself?
2: Sure, so I graduated college back in 2013 and uh, my parents said, we sent you to a good school, now go get a good job. And I first traveled around the country. Um, I went to Nashville, San Francisco, traveled everywhere and I interviewed at a bunch of companies and I had the question of why in my mind. I I, I really just needed that meaning piece. And I ended up going out to Thailand and eventually um, well, Afghanistan, as well as uh, some of the countries. And then when I landed in the Philippines, I just really felt it was my happy place. Part of it was because I grew up in Texas and everyone here is your best friend, just like in Texas. Um, And a, a lot of it's also because it's so, there's so much opportunity to make a positive difference here. Um, just things that you and I consider basic knowledge of things that we know about with financial planning and healthcare. Um, a lot of people here, that's new news to them. And uh, not, not everyone, um, but uh, a, a large part of the population, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to mentor and grow people here and eventually I found that there's a lot of need for jobs here and uh, so I've been here, I'm on my sixth year now and uh, I I don't see myself leaving uh, anytime soon.
1: So tell us a little bit about the business that you run.
2: Sure, yeah, so um, I work with a handful of companies. Uh, I I have 18 companies right now that I uh, consider myself a talent advisor for and Um, I I view it as a compliment that a lot of my clients are people who have actually hired before in the Philippines themselves. They might've hired five people or a dozen people and they had mixed results, but they know what they're doing. And um, they come to me because I've taken more swings at the bat and from that gained quite a few insights that help me to have people, uh, help me help people to have consistent success with hiring offshore.
1: So then the clients you're working with, they're not in the Philippines, correct? They're in the U.S. or other places that are looking to hire people in the Philippines.
2: Correct. Mostly U.S. and Canada, um, some out of Europe.
1: Yeah. So I know this is one of the questions that I get a lot when people are hiring because they always hear that you can hire offshore because it's cheaper than hiring for the same positions in the U.S., but they're they're nervous about it. They're not really sure what they're getting. And there's a lot of just unknowns when they go to hire someone offshore for the first time. The one thing being a language barrier. As soon as we hear hiring offshore, people think of a language barrier. Does that really exist?
2: I would say that it should not exist. If people have a solid hiring process, there should be a 0.00 language barrier. Um, I think that what happens to a lot of people, and it happened to me when I first showed up to the Philippines, um, and and I speak about the Philippines, and I I know that not everyone when they're thinking about offshore hiring, they don't always think about the Philippines. You know, there's India, there's uh, Egypt, there's quite a few solid companies out of Latin America. Um, But um, I, I think that the Philippines does take the top spot on the list and that wasn't actually a conscious choice on my part to show up here for that reason. I feel I just got lucky that I've been in the right place at the right time. Um, And uh, the Philippines, um, one of the reasons that it is top on the list, it's the top country for um, call centers to build operations and and it's 30% more expensive than India. So it's it's not even because of cost um, for why it's uh, on top of the list. but one of the reasons is because the language uh, here is a lot closer to um, you know American English and accent um, and I, I would say that I, I, this is a guess, but maybe one percent of the population here does not even know their local language of you know Filipino or Tagalog. Um, they, they grow up learning English and they actually I mean. It's it's not a rare occurrence for me to meet some uh, someone in the Philippines who I speak more of the local language than they do because in their household in their school they only spoke English. I think that what happens with a lot of people is they get their first impression about offshore language ability when they call a call center, and what I often tell people is don't base your opinion of what's out there based on what you hear when you call the call center because um, like. My, my wife, she has uh, a cousin and that cousin comes over to our house and um, he cannot, he, he's very silent around me because he's just not comfortable speaking with English at all. But he works for um, Citibank at, at their call center. And, um, uh, and I, I, I mean, I'm not picking on any company in particular. It's, it's really the entire call center um, industry as a whole um, is really considered entry level. Um, they're really grabbing, um, it, it's, it's really quite entry level. So um, I could bring on uh, people, you know, into our conversation who could have just as deep of a conversation with you and I, and be absolutely on par, um, primarily because, you know, for some of them, English is literally their first language, even though, um, right. even though they're abroad. So um, I-, I can confidently say that there are uh, millions of people in the Philippines who um, if you work with them, there is zero language barrier. but I would say that a lot of people do go out there and they put um, you know a job opportunity out into the universe and they they get some responses back and they start working with people, and the people they work with you know they realize a little bit later on that they can 't actually have a conversation with that person because there's too much being missed, and right. uh, at least on the phone. Um, and I I think that there's a couple things that people need to recognize, and one of them is that when you're hiring abroad, there's an even more uh, strong need for a strong hiring process. And uh, number two is um, that do not underestimate how long it takes. To bring up people's core skills, um, I made this mistake when I first started hiring in the Philippines. I did so with wanting to help people and improve their lives. And I had met people. Actually, I had people would bring people over to my house and tell me their story and say, "Could you please help this person, you know, find a find a job?" And um, I remember that I I would. Um, even American companies in the Philippines will post hiring uh, boards on their windows that, that say, you know, um, ma- males need to be at least five foot six, females need to be five foot four. Um, you know, we're hiring between 18 and 25 uh, you know, you must be single, no kids, no husband, no boyfriend, you know? And um, so there's a lot of discrimination that goes on. So sometimes I would meet someone who's four foot 11 and they, they cannot get hired in any retail job, you know? And, um, So I would would take people that fail to find any local opportunity, but they are actually smart. And I would say, you know what? I recognize that they're not that confident with English, but they are going to be so loyal and committed that they will overcome their skills gap. They will work through it. But I didn't realize that it really takes one-on-one mentorship for years to overcome some of those core things. I hear people see sometimes, oh, I'm going to train my, you know, my virtual assistant out of the Philippines, I'm going to train them on sales, right? I'm I'm going to have them try to do sales calls. They've never done it before. Uh, You know, how do I train them on sales? And I tell them, I say, no, please, please do not try to train someone on sales. Please hire for that. (laughs) I I guarantee you there's at least 100,000 people here that have solid experience with sales. I'll help you find one, but please do not try to train for that.
1: Right. You, you're saying like what you're saying is like music to my ears. It is so much like what I preach all the time is what you have. Like, it doesn't matter who you're hiring, where you're hiring. You have to have a strong hiring process to help you find the person that you need and help uncover those things that are going to make someone not the right fit. And then I always say, it's like, I don't care how great someone is at what they do. If they're not great at what you need, don't hire them. You're hiring because you have a need in your business. And a lot of times that means you don't have time to hold someone's hand throughout the entire process and get them up to speed of where you need them to be. Hire the right person. And for those other people that you want to help, there might be other things you can hire them to do or refer them to other people who need that person's skill set. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the other things that I hear about hiring someone offshore is the time difference. So how does that work? Because I know right now we're recording. It's evening time for me. It's nice and early in the morning for you. And some people, when they're, when they're hiring, they want someone that they can communicate with during business hours. So how does that work out when you're hiring offshore or can it work out when you're hiring offshore or do you just have to deal with the fact that there's different business hours?
2: Absolutely, great question. So in a lot of industries, it is the default to have graveyard, graveyard shifts here. And okay. a lot of the workforce is used to it. And a lot of the workforce who um, have taken jobs that are you know, graveyard shifts here, uh, daytime in the US, Um, they, a lot of people love it. So, um, there are a lot of companies hiring on us hours out of the Philippines with great success. Um, that said, when people come to me and say, oh, Hey, I want to hire, um, I want to hire, uh, somebody, you know, we have too many emails coming in and, um, we had to turn off ads for our e com store because we can't. We can't even uh, handle the emails, and you know, we need we need someone. And I say, okay, great, I've got someone for you. Uh, I've got someone in mind uh, immediately, and they say, uh, okay, awesome. Uh, how about they work uh, nine to five Eastern Standard Time, which is nine p.m. to five a.m. So Philippines is twelve hours ahead of uh, Eastern Time, and I say to them, um, I, I I I push back. I say, do you really need that much overlap? Absolutely. Let's let's work in some overlap. But what if what if they just work until um, 1 p.m. Eastern or 2 p.m. Eastern, right? And then and then they go to sleep. And then you know what? At 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern, maybe they're going to hop back on. And if there was something that you um, that you missed and, and and it came up at the end of your day, that you can pass it off. And you know it's actually going to be taken care of even before you go to sleep. So there can be some beautiful arrangements that are not complete graveyard shift here. Um, that uh, still have overlap. Because I think that pretty much everyone here, I mean, at least you know more than 90% of people here are willing to work until midnight, which is noon Eastern time, right? But that's only 9 a.m. Right. California time, right? So in California, maybe you're looking at people getting up at 5 a.m. here. I mean, this morning, I woke up at 6 a.m. because the sun comes up at 6. So 6 a.m. here is 3 p.m. Calif- uh, California time. So, um, you know, maybe starting at 1 p.m. California time or 2 p.m. California time. Um, and so um, there are easy ways to have significant overlap. And in a lot of jobs, for example, clearing email inboxes, um, a lot of times that is no problem. And that works and having some overlap. Um, when clients uh, say, no, we, we really need someone uh, nine to five uh, and we really want someone to, to be 100% on our hours. Um, that's fine. I, I think it's just uh, you keep in mind that something like four times less people will be willing to consider that job. And even the people that go into that job, there is a, it's, it's not uncommon for people to eventually burn out with graveyard shift, right. even if they go in thinking that they can handle it. Um, some people really can, and they go 10 years on graveyard shift, and it's fine. Um, but it's, it's not uncommon for me to get a call from from somebody that says, "Hey Austin, uh, you know, I really feel bad. I I I I don't even want to bring it up, but I I'm having high blood pressure. My doctor says that I shouldn't be, uh, you know, doing this this kind of shift, and uh, right. you know, they're looking for an adjustment. So so that happens sometimes,
1: right? And I love that that you that you kind of push back on the business and find out." is this really important? When I'm working with businesses that are hiring for the first time and setting the expectations for the first time, they're so used to them doing things that they have this certain way set up and they're like, things have to be done this way. And I always push back, why? Tell me why. And my my response to them is always, if you cannot tell me a reason why this is important, it's a personal preference, it's not a business need, and you might have to let it go like personal preferences are not what move the business forward business needs are what move the business forward so is it really important that someone is clearing the inbox during those nine to five hours if you think about it from a customer service perspective how often do you email a company and expect to get an immediate response not very often typically there's a 24 to 48 hour turnaround time so having someone respond to those emails outside of normal business hours probably isn't that big a deal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when you're working with clients and you're helping them find the help that they need, are you helping them find dedicated people or do you work with more, are you hiring, are they hiring a group of people where they never know who's going to actually be working on their projects and working on their business?
2: Yeah, so I don't even know if I've encountered that, Second setup. I'm sure it exists in some context, um, but um, I, I, I would say that I see people getting dedicated people, um, in, unless they're you know hiring a company maybe as a service, um, and and you know that they have no intention of meeting the team that's performing that service. But but yeah, it's it's dedicated people. I, I will say that you know one of the um, issues that comes up when um, people hire through Companies is turnover. Um, a lot of the uh, industries, a lot of the companies that um, that say, "Hey, we're going." You tell us the job that you need, and we're going to place that job, um, and that person's going to work in our office dedicated to you. Uh, those types of companies, um, uh, they often have turnover rates above thirty percent a year, which is insane. And right. um, for me and the teams that I've built, um, we've had less than 5% turnover a year. Um, That's great. And a lot of the reason just comes down to that um, most of the companies are congregated in um, very specific parts of uh, some of the largest cities. And um, so people just have tons of opportunities next door next door next door and and they're going out to lunch with people from 12 different similar companies and um, so there's there becomes just these hot spots of competition um, and that's in large part what happens so um, for me with with the, the teams that I build or the offices um, it's it's usually been in places where um, companies haven't Uh, you know, outsourcing companies haven't built offices before. Um, And and that's usually where I've picked uh, to, to go.
1: Okay. So like, just to kind of like recap some of the things that we've talked about so far is, you know, when you're, if you're thinking about and hesitant about going and hiring offshore work, some of the things that stop people, concerns about the language, concerns about the time difference, concerns about getting dedicated staff, those don't have to be concerns. When you have the ability and resources to narrow down on the right hires and the right people that you want on your team, you know, it can be just like hiring someone in the U.S. where you're getting the exact help you need that's going to be dedicated to your business. You can be hiring that same type of help offshore and be giving someone, giving someone an opportunity in, in a different country. You're not limited just to the people in the U.S. or in your home country when you're hiring, you can expand your opportunities around the world and really find that best help for you. So is there anything else that people need to know of or be aware of when they're hiring offshore work? You know, Because another thing that I can think of is there's just different customs and cultures. So anything that business owners should be aware of when they go to enter a relationship with someone who's in a different country?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I, I can speak to the Philippines workforce um, and the culture here and, and less so much to other countries. Um, right. Um, you know, one of the things that happens uh, often in the Philippines is that the culture here is conflict avoidant. And people lack a sense of entitlement. And and I mean that in um, the positive sense of of entitlement where people feel that they have um, the the right and ability to speak up about their opinions and thoughts within the framework of, you know, authority. Um, So people don't speak up, basically. And, um, you know, I mean, it can come down to things like somebody uh, works for you for a year and everything's great. And then at some point, um, you know, a year comes and uh, they disappear and you don't know what's happened and there was no um, heads up. And a lot of the times, well, they disappear because they think that you're going to be angry when or if they explain things to you, because that's what they're used to locally. Um, They're used to uh, supervisors or or owners of companies that um, don't view them. Don't, don't treat them with as much respect as um, as they should have, you know, and, um, and uh, that's actually a little bit of a counterintuitive thought for people because um, people often, especially when people start learning about what type of hourly rates are normal here, people start to feel bad about hiring abroad and they feel like they're taking advantage of people. Um, but the truth is that the opportunities that people provide from the U.S. are often, you um, really an improvement on people's life and, and make a, make a big difference. Um, and uh, a lot of the reason is not only um, paying people more, but it, it's also how people are treated. You know um, I mean, my, my wife um, at first, I, uh, she, she was applying for a U.S. visa and um, a tourist visa. and uh, She's been uh, denied twice. So uh, we'll, we'll find out another way to get her to the States. Um, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get to the States. Um, and, um, uh, when she was working in a company at the time, um, she asked the company for time off and it was two months in advance. Um, and she was working at a restaurant and, um, her boss said, no, we need you there that day. Right. I mean, it's, uh, I, I could give you a hundred stories of how people are used to, um, not having their, uh, you know, their, their needs and thoughts and wishes, uh, respected. So, um, so when, when, when U.S. companies provide job opportunities, uh, you know, it's it's often really um, providing improvement for people. What was the original question?
1: So just being aware of any culture differences or anything that, that can, they just need to know to help form the right relationships, effective relationships. But one of the things I want to ask in case, we, before we get into anything else you have to add for that, like just based off what you were saying was when, okay, so there's, they've Grown up, kind of in this culture where they're not necessarily respected from their boss. They they're afraid to start those conversations. Are they open to having the relationship where that boss is very um? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Inquisitive is really the right word I'm looking for here, but encouraging those relationships, asking them what's on what's on the horizon, what's going on in their life. Are they willing to share if they're approached, if their boss is asking them about it, or is that one of those things that, because they're grown up in a culture where those things aren't respected, they kind of shy away from those conversations when approached?
2: Fantastic question. And the answer is that people are very willing to be open and share as soon as you break the ice. Um, I've, I've seen I've seen clients come in and when when, when people feel uh, when people here feel intimidated by the people that they're working for um, and, and they don't feel a connection on a maybe I'll say friend level um, then they will be nervous to share because they're afraid that that person um, will be upset with them and things like that from sharing their uh, thoughts and ideas and desires and Um, But as soon as you break the ice and you demonstrate that you care about that person on an individual level, um, then people are very willing to share as as soon as you ask. And it's crazy that there are things that when you ask, um, you'll be surprised that they didn't bring it up. Um, Right. And uh, so I think that there is really a need when hiring abroad, especially in the Philippines, there's a really big opportunity just to simply ask people questions. And if if anybody listening has some Philippine staff, I'll I'll throw you some questions to ask your staff. um, And I bet that you have a 50% chance to be quite surprised by the answer you get. And the first question to ask is, how's your back? When you're working, how's your back? Because most people here, are using really crummy plastic chairs that are absolutely terrible in the back and they never complain about it. And they also will not spend the money to buy themselves a new chair a lot of the time. And the reason is because they're living in a house with eight people and it's a bit of a a sharing communal culture. And if you buy something expensive for yourself, it's really seen as quite selfish. So people will not buy a $50 or $100 chair for themselves most of the time when they're, when they're living with their family. Um, and they will have really bad back pain that they are dealing with on a daily basis that is affecting their performance, but they never bring it up. So go ahead and ask people, what's your chair like? Can you send me a picture of your chair? And how's your back? And how, how does that affect you in, in, in your daily work?
1: So what are you supposed to do about it in a situation like that so what if they they tell you it's horrible you know their chair is uncomfortable is it a I don't, I don't even know like with sending things is it appropriate can you send them a chair will they accept that as a gift uh,
2: Absolutely. You know, absolutely. How, what they, do you do right um, you send them a chair <laughs> okay. so uh, lazada.com lazada.com is kind of like our Amazon and they okay. accept uh, US payments so just 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 get that address from that person and, and ship them the chair. Um, uh, a second example is air conditioning. So um, I remember um, I had sent out a survey and asked people. Um, the first question was, "Do you have AC in the like the room that you work in?" And two thirds of people said yes, I do. But then I said, "You know what? This is suspicious. So let, let me ask it a different way." And I said, "Do you use?" AC in your workroom uh, while, while you're working. And then the percentage of yes dropped down to 17%. And the reason is because um, it, it's, again, it's about the family and it's about that your family's sitting outside in the living room and they're not turning on the AC because the electric- electricity is, uh, I think about double the price of US electricity. Um, so it would be seen as selfish. Um, but in truth, when the humidity is 80% and it's 90 degrees, um, it really affects people's performance. It really just saps any creative juice out of people. Um, And it's tough to work in a hot environment. It really is, but people just do it. Um, And you also, you wouldn't hear about this unless you ask. And right now it's rainy season, so it's a bit better. Um, But uh, especially during the spring of the US time, or even just now, go ahead and ask your staff um, You know, do you have an AC and are you using it? And how much does heat affect your performance? Um, And you'll be surprised by the answer. And and my suggestion for solving that is to give people specifically, um, call it an allowance, because that's the terminology used in local companies here, and say, hey, I'm giving you um, maybe $60 a month. Less is okay, but sixty dollars a month maybe would be my recommendation for a full-time person who's working daytime U.S. Uh, daytime Philippines time. Um, I'm giving you a sixty-dollar AC allowance, and I want you. A requirement of your work is to use your air conditioning for at least half the time while you're working. And if you if you tell them that now, you've given them something that they can tell other people and not uh, say you know hey, sorry guys, you know, I, I'm using the AC because it's a requirement of my job. So now it's not selfish anymore. So if you kind of make that judgment call for people and you, you, you give them that setup, then you're going to uh, enable them to uh, use their AC without feeling selfish. And it, it'll be, it'll make a big difference in their performance.
1: Those are, those are great insights. And so many things that we don't think of here. Um, just going back to like, you know, the air conditioning, just like complete differences here in the US is, you know, obviously I'm, I'm in Florida, so our AC runs pretty much 24-7, especially during the summer. Right now, we're at the mid-September and everywhere up north, they're talking about fall. And I'm like, what fall? I'm like, fall is nowhere close to being on the horizon down here. I'm like, we still have probably a good two months before we get our first like fall day. And that will most likely be the temperature cooling down a little bit at night. But I grew up in Western New York, where a lot of the houses didn't necessarily have AC. And it just baffles my husband when we go up there, because he's from the south of, wait, all the houses here don't have AC? How do you live? And it's just like, well, it doesn't get like that hot, but it. It, or even when it does during the day, you're out different places, you're at work, it cools down at night. And it's just this whole different culture of, you know, when things revolve around AC and when they don't, but you don't really, if you live in a place where your AC is always running and it's just normal to have AC and heat in the house, you don't think about it. Or here in Florida, one of the things that I didn't think about was there's a lot of places in Florida that don't have heat. And while it doesn't get super cold here, there are times where we'll get have a week or two where it is cool, where you would love to turn on the heat, and you don't even think about the fact that some people don't have heat or don't use it down here. So, it's just those things that you don't think about just because your life's different.
2: I I ran into the same situation when I moved from Texas and I went to college in Boston, and it's it's quite cold in Boston. Nothing I was used to in Texas. Uh, My solution to that was an electric blanket. That. That was a lifesaver, especially when I had a roommate from France who uh, loved to keep the window open when it was 30 degrees outside. Electric blanket. That is, that is the solution to cold nights.
1: Yes. Yeah. But going back to like, the questions you gave and really being the person that starts those conversations is, that is definitely something I always teach. I always tell people, if you don't want to be shocked and surprised, you have to ask. I remember working with an employee once, and he was hiring one of his interns into a full time posi- for a full time position. And with it, she was from another country. She she decided that she was staying here in the U.S. And I said, "Okay, you know, she's young. She's staying here in the U.S. What happens when she changes her mind in a few months because she's no longer in college and that that hustle bustle and wants to go home?" And he goes, "Well, she says she's going to stay around." I was like but she might not like life is gonna be completely different once she's out of college. So keep the conversation going. Have every time you're checking in with her, ask her how she's doing, like let her feel comfortable of sharing as much as she feels comfortable with about her personal life and the needs that are going on and how she's adjusting once she's out of college. And as I kind of predicted a few months later, she said, you know what? Being away from my family is just not working out for me. I'm moving back home. But she gave him, I think it was about a month and a half to two months notice. So he was able to get on top of it and figure out what to do and how to refill that position and everything. So he wasn't left high and dry. Because the last thing you want is the person that you hired, that you've spent time finding, that you've spent time getting into really the flow of your work and all your processes and everything, just leaving. You don't want that. So having those conversations and making it so that person feels comfortable being a part of your team and communicating with you and sharing is is so valuable. And if someone doesn't want to share, they're going to give you clues and you can feed off those clues so you're not making anyone uncomfortable, but you can build the relationship that's needed so you're not surprised when they need time off or they're leaving to go someplace else just because their career goals have changed.
2: Absolutely. And one of the traps that I see people going into is that they'll go to, um, Upwork or they'll go to LinkedIn and they'll find people that have impressive resumes. They have maybe a lot of great reviews on Upwork. Um, they have, you know, really detailed and great experience on LinkedIn. Um, And they'll be excited about hiring those people and they'll get on a phone call with them and they're really impressed with what that person has done before. Um, I, in most situations, I avoid hiring really experienced people. And um, the reason is because they have a lot of opportunities and they're going to be approached on a weekly basis with other opportunities. And usually pretty quickly, um, they you know, there might be a bidding war or, um, they will, uh, you know, they, they, might leave. Like there's, there's a lot of turnover from that. And, um, I like hiring people who have predominantly, um, you know, just worked in local jobs, um, and, uh, that, uh, they, they haven't really worked for American companies before. Um, I mean, or they've worked for American companies that have local offices, but they, they haven't, um, you know, done a freelance thing. Uh, that is my preference uh, on, on hiring, um, and, and and I think that uh, it, it's tough because then if you if you don't have the credentials-based hiring to you know to be part of the hiring process, then well, then how do you even discover those people? Um, and uh, uh, but um, but that is one thing that I see a, a lot of people um, falling into a trap on is um, they're, they're they're going they're finding you know shiny resumes and they're hiring those people, uh, but everyone else is also finding those people. And um, sometimes yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to, to retain them.
1: Right, it's one of those things that I always tell people, is like when we go through the hiring process, we wanted to do two main things eliminate the underqualified and eliminate the overqualified. And people always say, why do I want to eliminate the overqualified? As someone who's more qualified than what I want, wants to work for me, I should take them on, right? And I'm like, no, because most likely you're not going to be able to provide them what they need for a long-term fit and they're going to leave and go someplace else. So- no, you don't want the overqualified person. You don't want the person who you're like, oh my gosh, look at that person. I'm so happy they applied here because like they're above what I need. No, you want to find the right person at the right level for your business and you need to know what that is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So before we wrap up today, anything else people should know about hiring offshore workers?
2: So yeah, so um, I think people often wonder what, what types of jobs, you know, what, what type of tasks can you outsource? And um, I think that there are no limitations on what you can outsource, but it's really dependent on your hiring process. Um, I, the, the most common group would be, um, I've seen it categorized as uh, task problem results. So what are you delegating? So are you, are you delegating tasks where you're going to have an SOP and step-by-step-by-step by step by step and here's tasks. Um, and then in that situation, success looks like hiring a generalist who has a good risk triage, a high analytical clock speed, who um, can see your instructions and know, see notice when there's gaps and know when to ask questions and kind of figure some stuff out a little bit of the time, but for the most part, follow your instructions. And, and, and that's what um, that looks like. And then uh, delegating problems is that You know, there's there's large gaps, and you don't really have steps for, uh, and and you can definitely hire people for that, and then you know results would be at the top. Um, So I think it's important for people to uh, to know what they're looking for, um, and then it's just critical to have a solid hiring process to be able to um, make sure that you find what you're looking for. There are a lot of U.S. companies that have ten thousand plus employee offices here, and not all of those people are. Doing entry-level work, there are a significant number of people in um, high skill jobs. Um, I, I remember um, I helped build a development team for a company, and um, they had uh, only hired U.S. developers in the past. And, you know, maybe they were paying like six, eight, ten thousand a month, um, and um, I brought them developers for um, you know two thousand a month and under. So. Uh, quite a bit of cost savings. And, um, the head of the IT of that company told me, um, you know what, it's crazy because I, I expected that we'd be paying a lower price and, and that there'd be less quality. But the truth is that the people you've brought are absolutely on par with our American developers. Um, and so I, you definitely can find those people, but, but it's tough. It's not, it's not easy to find uh, a really solid developer and, and uh, it, it all comes down to your hiring process. So I, I don't think there's, uh, really limitations on what you can hire, except for you know uh, the flaws in, in, in hiring process.
1: Right, so I will say my husband, he's a software developer and uh, he's with his team, he helps with hiring every once in a while, like doing some of the peer interviews. And yeah, I, I can say, even when you're hiring onshore developers, There's a lot out there that aren't going to fit and be what you need. And so you can hire someone who's just as bad onshore as you can hire someone just as bad offshore. So yeah, your hiring process has to be on point to identify what you need and find the right person. And when you know that, you can find that right person no matter where they are in in the world.
2: Yeah. And last topic on my mind is I think we should talk about rates. I I think people are interested to know, you know, what, what the standard is. And, um, so, um, minimum wage in the Philippines is around a dollar an hour. Um, okay. and there are a lot of situations that paying someone, even a dollar an hour might even be better than, um, might, might, might even offer them an improvement in their life. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, for, for different reasons, especially if, um, you know, they're older than 25 or they're under five foot four, then maybe they can't even get a job locally for a dollar an hour. So, um, you know, uh, I I would say that um, I usually tell people that um, I like setting $3 an hour as the bottom, the the baseline, the entry level. Um, uh, And I think that, um, you know, I I, I looked at, um, I analyzed, jobs that were being posted by people from other countries in the Philippines uh, from one source. Um, and I uh, I saw that um, a majority of jobs were like under $3 an hour. So I, I think that there's quite a few people out there that are hiring out of the Philippines for under $3 an hour. Um, uh, I think $3 an hour is, is, is a solid starting point. And then um, I would say that uh, four and five are um, really seen as quite good, um, in most people's eyes. Um, and if you hit six, that's, I mean, that's really getting beautiful. Um, and, uh, I would say that most of the time, um, I I would say it's rare for me to, um, help someone hire someone that is going to be paid more than $6 an hour. I would say that's rare, although, um, it does happen, especially when you get into some high, really high skill stuff, like some developers, Um, I think that when people, um, go on to, uh, Upwork and such, um, or LinkedIn, or you find the people that are in high demand, you're going to be finding 15 to 20 an hour. Um, sometimes more as to what they're asking for. And, and the reason for that is because, well, they have the opportunity to, um, ask for a higher rate because, you know, they, they have, they have options. So they can right. kind of start, um, you know, that competition. Uh, and it's interesting because, um, people that are used to hiring out of the Philippines will post on Facebook groups or something like that um, saying like, Hey, I'm hiring, you know uh, this and that, and, you know, uh, paying $3 an hour, right. Pays $3 an hour. And I'll see a lot of angry reactions and um, uh, people start saying like, Oh, you know, that's exploitation and that's really bad. And it's an interesting debate, you know, but from my perspective, Whoever takes that job for $3 an hour, that is a significant improvement on their life. That is them being able to afford, um, you know, chemotherapy for their mom. And previously, she was just not going to have treatment. I mean, it's, it's it's a legitimate human impact. Paying someone $3 an hour, that is that is an improvement for most people. So from my perspective, I just see the good, um, although I know it's quite shocking for, for a lot of people.
1: Right. And it's just one of those things you have to remember is – Every country, the value of a dollar is different. So to go and base it all on like U.S. values and saying, you well, you can't pay someone $3 an hour here. They wouldn't ever be able to afford anything. It's like $3, like you were saying, it's completely different over in the Philippines because of the value of a dollar there and how far that dollar can go. So, So yeah, you have to think about it that way is – you know, and I do know that that is one of the things that people say is, you know, you're kind of going the cheap way sometimes when you hire overseas because you'd have to pay somebody more here. But it's once again, it's about finding the right person for the help that you need and finding the right person for that position. And that right person might be someone overseas, or you might be in a position right now with your business that you can't afford to hire someone at US rates but you still need the help. And it's a way where you can then go and hire someone who needs a job, who's gonna do well at the job at a, at a price that you can afford as a business owner. Cause we don't all have huge accounts like for our expenses and everything and for our payroll and everything that we can go and pay. the. Sometimes when it comes to virtual assistants here in the US that are looking for 30, $40 an hour, that sometimes we need the help and we need the help at a price that we can afford and to be able to pay someone at a rate that's going to make a huge significant difference in their life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, all
1: right. So before we wrap up, how can people get in touch with you?
2: Yeah. So I, I would say, um, if you're interested in uh, discussing anything about Philippines hiring, uh, go to meetwithaustin.com and just book a time on my calendar and and we'll chat. Um, so, yeah.
1: Sounds good. All right. And my last question that I like to ask everybody, we have all had leaders or managers that stood out to us. Think of the most impactful leader or manager that you have had. And can you share with us one thing that made them stand out as a great leader to you?
2: Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, I, I just, I love this story. So, um, so I, I, I would pick a gentleman named Enrico Palmerino and he's the CEO at, um, at Bach keeper And, uh, when I was a freshman in college, he was a senior in college and, uh, he, um, uh, he brought me into his dorm room with a gentleman named Dinesh. And he said, uh, Hey, Austin, would you like to be the the third, um, you know, the third employee at, uh, Think Light and, um, a company he was, he was starting it. I, he, he, they handed me an NDA and a contract I went back to my dorm room and I thought about it. And, um, I thought that the idea that I had that I was working on, um, I, I was just more excited about it, and I thought it was you know the, the path that I should take, uh, and so I I turned it down. Um, and six months later, they they get venture capital and they just just take off, and it becomes a multi million dollar uh, company, and um, uh, and it just becomes a, a huge success. And then um, three years ago, Enrico calls me up and says, um, "Hey, Austin." Uh, we're looking to build an office out of the Philippines. Um, I know that you're there and such. And do you think that's something you could do for us? And I say, absolutely. I said, you know, I, I turned you down the first time and I'm not turning you down a second time. And um, uh, so, um, so, 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 so uh, that company is based out of, out of Boston. Um, and it's, a, it's a, a, a Bookkeeping company, and we have a. It, it uses artificial intelligence to bring efficiency to bookkeeping, and we have a data validation team out of the Philippines because with machine learning um, and artificial intelligence, you have to, uh, you know, to to do a lot of data validation to to teach the ML and such. And uh, right. the company is just uh, doing great. I mean, we've we've raised almost fifty million dollars. It's a Google-funded company, um, and it's just been a grand success. And I think that um, in watching. Uh, Enrico with his different ventures, um, uh, I've just learned that it's really, it, business success is not about the idea, it, it's really about the person. And um, there's just been so much that I've learned from, uh, from following Enrico on his journey. I, I've told him that, look, the next company you have, I mean, I, I don't care what the idea is, I'm, I'm in, however I can help, you know. So um, that, that's that been uh, one, one close friend of mine that I've looked the most up to and uh, and learned a lot from.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking to us about hiring offshore workers.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Jamie.
1: And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you have not done so yet, Please subscribe to the Growing Your Team podcast so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and hear all the greatest tips from our guest experts on how you can grow your team so you can scale your business. And if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving us a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast, and your review will help other people decide if this is the right podcast for them. So once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.